Hey friends, I'm Jenny Meyer, and you're listening to the Rooted Truth Podcast, where we look at the world through a biblical lens. We talk about real life, biblical truth, and how to walk with Jesus through it all. Be sure to follow me on social at Jenny Meyer and at The Rooted Truth. Also, be sure to subscribe to the members-only, all-exclusive episodes on the Rooted Truth Podcast by going to www.therootedtruth.com. Now let's get started. Before we dive into today's episode, I would love to invite you to our next study over at The Rooted Truth. Beginning Thursday, July 6th, we will be doing a deep dive into the book of Daniel. Each week for eight weeks, we will look at a section of the book and break it down, discuss, and see how it applies to our lives today. Daniel is an exciting book and linked to the end times, so I really hope that you will join us. If you can't join us live, don't worry. The replays are available for you. You also receive the full study for you to keep. You can print out, go through it, whatever you wish. There are a couple ways to join, either through the Rooted Truth Collective, which includes access to the app, or just for the study. So check it out at www.therootedtruth.com. You can also find the direct link in the description of this episode below. Today on the podcast, I have the privilege and honor of interviewing pastor and author Mitch Griffin. Mitch was born and raised in a farm in Georgia. He grew up in the church and was immersed in the church culture from birth. He was the son of a deacon and the brother of a career missionary. So he experienced the insider view of church and ministry from his earliest memories. Although he was drugged to church in his own words, he rebelled early and left home and left the church at age 16. At 21, he had a dramatic conversion experience and went from years of drug and alcohol addiction to Bible college, where he trained for ministry. So that began his full-time job in as being a pastor in ministry at age 25, and he pastored three churches over 13 years. Though he was saved and in ministry, Mitch struggled secretly with inner demons producing depression, self-loathing, anger, and rage, just to name a few. This led him on a continuous journey to find healing and freedom. He saw the peaceful, joyful, abundant life that's promised in scripture, and he would occasionally taste it but could never keep it. Finally, the long-awaited freedom came. So today, Mitch is devoting his life to passionately sharing truths that produced his freedom. His deepest passion is that of a teacher and a transformational coach. His desire is to help people recognize what hinders them from experiencing healing and freedom. His message involves getting to the core issues in our lives that contribute to the breakdown in relationship with God, ourselves, and others. Help me welcome pastor and author, Mitch Griffin. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to introduce you to my new friend we just met. His name is Mitch Griffin, and we're going to dive into his story and just the topic of finding freedom in Christ and what that looks like. So, Mitch, thank you so much for joining me today. My pleasure, man. It's awesome to be here, Jenny. Thank you. Yeah. Do you want to start out and share a little bit of your story? Like, you know, reading your bio and just like looking at your website, I'm like, wow, you know, you do have a lot of life experience. And so I'm excited for you to share. Well, I often say we all have a story. I've got a story. You got a story. We all have a story to share. Uh, There's some dark chapters in our stories and generally those aren't discussed as often. So very briefly, uh, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up, my father was the chairman of the deacon board, the adult Sunday school teacher. So I was one of those kids who was drugged to church, you know, from an early age, was there my entire life. Uh, I prayed a prayer at about 12 years old and was baptized. Um, But there was a lot going on in our home. My father had a lot of issues that he really didn't know how to deal with. So I saw a vast difference between my father on Sunday and the rest of the week. And, And I struggled with that as a kid. So around the age of 13, 14, I I started dabbling in drugs. By the age of 15, I was in heavy drug use and left home at 16. So I I left home at 16, left home and the church and ran those roads, you know, hard as I could until 21. I had a radical conversion experience at 21, Uh, literally went from smoking crack cocaine to Bible college within one month. I mean, wow. so it was a radical transformation. 
Um, man, it was awesome. I mean, there's nothing like it. Right? I often say there's no high like being on Jesus. Mm-hmm. So that journey led me into Bible college. I began to train to be a pastor in the denominational church that I came from. Um, I did. I started pastoring at the age of 25, uh, was married, and the wheels fell off. Because although I was born again, I was saved, I really had no tools and was not equipped to deal with all the internal baggage that I had accumulated throughout my journey. And and I began this search of just trying to find answers. Uh, I found along the way, Jenny, that there was a lot of people who would tell you to change, but I found it very difficult for practical application of how to change. So I entered a, a search read everything I could get my hands on, you know, watched everything I could find. This was back before internet, so I didn't have <laughs> Google. Um, and, and honestly, wound up kind of resigned to the fact that although I see these promises in Scripture, I don't know how to get there. And I was really at a point of desperation and almost giving up when, when I ran across a ministry that introduced me to some truths that radically changed my life. Um, and that started my journey of what I do today. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That is, that is a dramatic like conversion experience of like one month change. Um, and so did you completely just stop all the drug use at that time? I did. I mean, it it was, it was miraculous. I mean, literally again, because I was 135 pounds when I, when I got saved, I was strung out on cocaine and, and living a rough, hard life and God took it. He took it all. Uh, literally no withdrawal symptoms, anything. I, I was completely set free, delivered, healed, if you will. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, it was amazing. It was amazing what God did. And I rode that high I mean, because it was, it was a high. It was amazing. I mean, it was literally like everything looked different. I mean, the wow. trees even looked different. I mean, there was a true quickening being made alive by the spirit of God that happened at the age of 21. And in the denomination I came from, that's all you needed, man. You just get saved, right? You, you get saved. That's the answer. Well, the problem was I was saved. There was no doubt. No, Anybody that knew me knew I was born again. Uh, so I was honestly confused by the continual struggles that I had, even though that I knew I was born again. So that's what set me on my journey. Wow. That's amazing. Um, you know, it's, it's funny that we're talking like this, that God just puts everything together at the right time, which is so cool. But I've just been having this conversation with people of, you know, there's a lot of people that do not believe that the enemy, the demons, whatever you want to call them can affect Christians because once you're mm-hmm. saved, you're good. Like, right. You're good. There's, there's nothing more you need to do. There's no deliverance. There's no healing process. Yeah. Um, and so I mean, we can dive right in if you want to. Like, Absolutely. Let's just jump I, off. You know, just a little quote that comes to mind as you say that. One of my former pastors, Dr. Henry Wright, says, I don't care if he's inside, outside, or on Pluto with a megaphone. You're listening in regards to the enemy. You know, so I don't even want to get lost in the weeds on the debate of whether a Christian can have an evil spirit. Uh, I know, I know, I know from my own experience and from my experience working with others, there's a lot of evil spirits who have Christians. So however the debate, what side you want to land on, I love that quote. I don't care if he's inside, outside, or on Pluto with a megaphone. We're listening. Yep. We're yep. being influenced by an invisible enemy kingdom, and it's wreaking havoc on the church. You know, Paul says that we're not ignorant of Satan's devices, and I can quote that, and I quoted that for years, but I was woefully ignorant of just to what level we actually are as believers influenced by the enemy's kingdom. Absolutely. Yep. yep. And it's so amazing. You just brought up Henry Wright because literally two hours ago was having a conversation about him. Like yeah. I'm so serious. I'm like, oh, I have his book. Um, and I just, I haven't read it yet and I need to, um, it's on my shelf. I need to read it just about like the spiritual roots of disease mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and how the enemy just influences and can take a Christian out. Like really yep. Like whether it's full on, you know, and it's so visible or it's just that nagging feeling where you feel depressed, you feel like all these feelings inside. Um, And so, yeah, I'm really excited to dive into like this, this freedom in the, let me, let me quickly say Dr. Wright was, I mean, he was my pastor, man. He's my hero. 
Um, he's, he's gone on to be with the Lord now. He's no longer with us. But um, so that was the ministry that, that I found that began to introduce me to this understanding. And I was on staff there for five years with those oh, guys. Wow. You know, so wow. just that was where I was rooted and grounded in the true principles of God's word that set me free. So what Restored is, what my ministry, the book, everything that I do is, it's basic prim- principles from the Word of God. Um, a lot of them I was introduced to at Being Health, and then since then I have you know, taken that and kind of adapted and uh, contorted it into my own style, my own teaching. But yeah, Dr. Henry Wright is, I, I give him all the credit and the glory for the freedom. Obviously it's God, but he's yeah, the one yeah. that introduced me. Yeah. to this whole line of thinking that I finally found. Wow. So cool. God is so, so cool. I'm excited. So yeah, let's dive into this. Like, you know, who is our true enemy? What does that look mm-hmm. like? Mm-hmm. What challenges do we run into as believers? Um, and then what is finding freedom in Christ? What is it? Ooh, how long do we have? I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the key scriptures for me is Ephesians six twelve. You know, when Paul says we wrestle not, or a battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, so on and so forth. Um, who's flesh and blood? And this was a first piece for me, because I have often, always said all my life, I'm my own worst enemy. But that's not what the scripture teaches. Because if I'm flesh and blood, and I am, then my battle is not against myself. If you are flesh and blood, and you are, so is my wife and my kids and my mother-in-law and my boss and, and all these other people, my battle's not against them either. My battle is against an invisible enemy kingdom that is headed up by formerly known Lucifer, now known as Satan, that rebelled against God, was kicked out of heaven along with the third of the angels, kicked down to the ground, to the earth, and they were seeking a way into mankind. Again, we can talk forever on this, but in Romans 5, 12, Paul says, through one man, sin entered into the world and and death passed on then to all men. So I often say this as I teach, if, if sin entered, that must mean that sin existed prior to and outside of man. You know, so there's this whole conversation around the original sin, you know, and we many people will say the original sin was with Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, in in regards to mankind, in regards to human beings, that's absolutely true. But that's not the original sin. The original sin was Lucifer and the iniquity that was found in him, the pride that caused him to rise up and say, I will be like the Most High God. So this kingdom of sin, as I describe it, has been around for who knows how long, prior to Adam and Eve ever even being created. They're kicked to the earth, kicked to the ground, and they're looking for access. And Paul tells us, Romans 5, 12. So in my book, in my teaching, I go back to Genesis chapter 3 and really take the time to slow down and look at what actually transpired in what we call the fall in the garden. And that's the entrance of sin. That's our battle. That's who we are fighting against is this invisible kingdom. It, very quickly, if I got time. Yeah. You know, when, when the serpent comes to talk to Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. you know, I've read the Bible my whole life, grew up in church, never really stopped to think about it. But have you ever had a talking snake appear to you? Yeah. I've not. Yeah. yeah. No, I, you know, I, I I've see. I've yeah, no. <laughs> seen a lot of snakes in my life, but I've never had one talk to me. Yeah. So many people will mock and ridicule and make fun of the Bible. So they look, it's fairy tales. But I I think there's a simple answer to this. There is a disembodied spirit kingdom who needs a way to communicate to physical creatures on the earth. So Satan, I believe, personally, embodied the serpent. I don't, it doesn't have to be a serpent. It could have been a donkey. It could have, you know, even, even God used a donkey, yep, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I want us to understand, and I teach all of this, the, the serpent communicating to Eve is not just about the snake. It's about the spirit being that needed a physical means of communicating in a physical world. First case of channeling, if you will. 
Once they listen to, Eve listens to, then Adam follows Eve. Once they eat that fruit, that kingdom no longer needs to manifest physically through a physical creature. Now it has gained access. It's able to communicate to us spirit to spirit, if you will, the thoughts, the feelings, the impressions that we have internally is that kingdom. Very quickly, if you notice when when God comes for his walk and they're hiding in the bushes with their fig leaves on, God says, first, Adam, where are you? Now, I got three kids. I've asked all kinds of questions I already know the answer to. Exactly. Yep. Second question, huge for me, eye-opening for me. Who told you you were naked? There's no other physical beings there but Adam and Eve. Yet God indicates that something, a who, a being, is now communicating. Who told you you were naked? So I submit to you, Miss Jenny, and all that are listening. So good. So the good. fear, the guilt, the shame that led Adam and Eve to sow the fig leaves, to hide from one another, which, let me back up a minute. Somebody asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. With all your heart, mind, soul, strength, love the, your neighbor as you love yourself. Three areas of relationship there with God, with yourself, and with others. What happened when they ate the fruit and this kingdom enters? They have instant breakdown in relationship between one another. They were naked and ashamed. Now they're hiding from one another. They're no longer open and transparent and vulnerable. I and mean, we still battle with that today. Second area of relationship that was broken, now they're broken in their relationship with God. God comes looking for them. The church I was raised in said God can't look on sin. That's a bad interpretation of Habakkuk. God cannot look favorably on sin. God comes looking for Adam and Eve and says, wait a minute, who told you that you were naked? So this whole kingdom of sin that I never really understood. I was ignorant of Satan's devices, of how he operates. That's my enemy. That's what I'm fighting against. And if I can ever truly begin to understand that, I can start to move into freedom. So I know I'm doing a lot of talking. You no, just do it. Your hand like, up and stop me at any time. No, I like want to say amen. Like keep on preaching. Um, that's so, you know, it's so true. And when you do go back to that original fall in the garden of mankind. That's where it all stems from. And Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. you said, we're not taught that in some churches, like it's not being addressed that, Hey, you still have this enemy. It's still happening today. Absolutely. I mean, I would say even more so like Satan's in our faces Mm -hmm. and whispering lies and, you know, all this is going on. So what, I mean, you had, you were at that church with, um, Henry Wright as the pastor and his teaching. So he was obviously teaching this. Yes. What you said. Mm-hmm. So what, um, what was kind of like the, that wake up call for you in your own life? Um, well, this was a big part of it. It was like yeah. literally with this, this, who told you question yeah. became yeah. huge for me because it, it literally felt like to me, Jenny, when, when this reality clicked, I'm like, Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. All my life, I had a mantra. I've never been good at anything but messing up. I'll clean it up a little bit. But but messing up, but I'm really good at it. And I mean, when I laid my head on my pillow, and even as a pastor, even as a Christian, when I laid my head on my pillow at night, I felt like an absolute failure. I felt like I was not good enough. I would never measure up. You know, David says in Psalm 139, I'll praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. This my soul knows right well. Well, my soul knew right well that I was good for nothing, that I was worthless, that I was a failure. That had been my entire reality. Even as a pastor, even as a Christian, I could fake it. I could put on the mask and pretend. But when I was alone by myself, that's how I felt about myself. And that was my reality. That drove me into the pits of depression and 10 years of medication for that. I mean, it was a journey. So when I began to understand this reality, who told you, it was like scales fell from my eyes. And I'm like, oh, man, I've been played. I'm, I've been a puppet on a string to this invisible kingdom. 
And he's just been whispering lies in my ear all my life. But nobody taught me. Nobody taught me how to discern the source of my thoughts, to recognize that every thought and feeling and impression that I have is not original to me. Yeah. And we can get into that if you want yeah. to, because yeah, that's the so practical side of this. It is like, who told you you're worthless? Mm -hmm. Who told you that you're never going to amount to anything or you're a failure? The enemy. Yeah. Yeah, well, so it was ultimately the enemy, but it wasn't just the enemy. It was my father. It was others in yeah. my life who, you know, would would speak those words over me. And I came to believe it, but coming to recognize with this understanding that really wasn't even my father because my battle's not against flesh and blood. That was just the enemy operating through my father because he was ignorant. He was oblivious to what was actually transpiring. So I know we don't have time to get into all of this, but at, at, at 15 or 16, when I left home, you know, I remember it well, 14, 15 years old, I came into full agreement. You know, my father had said for years over me, you're going to be just like your Uncle Willie. You're going to be just like your Uncle Willie. And I knew how he felt about Uncle Willie. I, I knew the journey. And I don't recall whether I said it to him directly or just internally, but I, I, I came into agreement with this statement. I would rather be like Uncle Willie than you. Yeah. And, and that, when I look back now, knowing what I know, that was it. That was when the switch flipped and I quit fighting and I quit trying to be a good boy. And I just gave myself over to the influence of the enemy. And it led me down a long, dark road. Yeah. So who told you cannot, I mean, it is the enemy ultimately, yeah. but yeah. there's people who have said these things to us. There's mamas and daddies and grandmas and grandpas and uncles and people we, we love that are supposed to love us that have spoken these words over us. And that just solidifies the lie of the enemy that if that's how they think I am, that's how they feel I am, it must be true. So we've got to learn how. Yeah, yeah. To take our thoughts, feelings, impressions captive and discern the source of that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, if you'll let's, allow let's me. Let's go into that. Okay. Give us some tools. Statistically, the, Bi or the Bible, but science, whoever does this research, says we have between 12,000 and 100,000 thoughts a day. Now, I, I was trying to, to track that down in writing the book to find an actual document that I could yeah. resource, but it's hard to find that. So it's often quoted, mm -hmm. but 12,000 to 100,000 thoughts a day. It goes on to say that 80 to 85% of those thoughts are negative. So very quickly, let me just run through this with you. There's only three places that thoughts can originate. So first of all, every thought in your head is not original to you. Mm -hmm. All thoughts originate from a mind of a thinking being. And there's only three primary categories. There's God and his kingdom. There's my head or human beings. And there's the enemy and his kingdom. So we've got to be able to stop and think about who told you. Where does these thoughts come from? Who told me I was worthless? Who told me I was good for nothing? First question, is that God? Is that what my father, who loved me enough to send Jesus to die for me while I was out smoking crack, is that how he feels about me? No. Second question, is that how God's created me to think? Because here's a big piece for me. I'm made in the image of God. You are too. We are made in the image and the likeness of God. So I, I extend that all the way to say we are made originally, before sin entered, to think, speak, and act like God. That's our original design. So if that's not God who told me that, is that how God's created me to think? Absolutely not, because I'm made to think like him. I've just ruled out two of the only three sources. It leaves the enemy. So I ask this question as I teach in groups. If we are listening to, agreeing with the enemy, 80 to 85% of our day, what kind of day are we going to have? A really bad negative day. A really day. bad day. Not being crude when I say this, but the best answer I've ever heard, I'll never forget it. I was teaching it at my house. We had a few people over. And, and this dear lady said, that's a hell of a day. <laughs> you're absolutely right. You're absolutely Perfect. right. 
Yeah. Because it's the opposite of a heaven of a day. Yeah. And that was my life, man. That was my life much more before I got saved, obviously. But even as a believer, even as a Christian, I had a lot more of H-E double hockey stick days than I did heaven of days because I didn't understand this. I didn't know how to, as Second Corinthians, Paul again says, take every thought captive and force it into the obedience of Christ. Nobody had taught me how to do that. So the first step in this process is thinking about what you're thinking about, recognizing that every thought in your head is suspect. Every thought in your head could be from the enemy. It may be yours, or it could be God's. And I have to take the time to stop and think about the origin and the source of those thoughts. And those are the three questions that I teach that to do that. Is it God? Is this how God created you to think? If not, is the enemy. So final question, do I then really want to continue to listen to, believe, and act out of what I now know is the enemy's way of thinking? Is that really what I want to do as a saved, born-again, spirit-filled son of God? No, it is not. No, no, that's so good because, yeah, people say, well, take every thought captive, but how do you do that? Yeah. I mean, literally. What does that look like? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I used to really hit this hard when I was in the fitness industry um, Mm -hmm. and working around your mindset with it, you know, and Hey, when you look in the mirror, you're going to think like, Oh, I'm so ugly. I'm never going to reach my goal. I, you know, I I'm worthless. Who's telling you that who's saying that Yeah. hold that up to scripture. Does it say that in scripture? No, it says that you were fearfully and wonderfully made that you're made in his image. Yeah. So, so good. So is that like those, that basic premise, what your book is about? It is restored is an acronym that I teach from. So restored is R for relationship. E is for enemy. S is for separation, which we really already kind of touched on learning to separate ourselves from the influence of the enemy's kingdom. The T is all about learning how to take our thoughts captive. The O is obedience. Every choice, every decision we make is demonstrating obedience. You know, there was a a song that I was taught in Sunday school as a kid, you know, and and they sang out the obedience, O-B-E-D-I-E-N-C-E. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Now, obviously, that was talking about obedience to God, but that's true across the board. Mm -hmm. What we do is demonstrating obedience. Where we're every choice, every decision we make is demonstrating obedience either to the enemy or to God. It's really that simple. So even in the fitness industry, what I put in my mouth, what I choose to eat, what I choose to drink, there's obedience in every choice, every decision I make. And I'm going to receive the blessing or the cursing that is associated with the kingdom that I am listening to. So that's obedience. Repentance is the next R, uh, which is another huge practical teaching because all of my journey, I was taught to repent, but nobody told me how. What does that practically look like? So I, I give a very practical process of repentance. E is exercise. You know, we must habitually practice to grow in this area of discernment. And then the final letter, D, is door points. That's where we move into the ministry side of applying this whole understanding into what's happened to us in our life. Mm -hmm. You know, we are the way we are. We think the way we think, speak the way we speak, based on all of these events that have taken place. Some very traumatic, others not so much, but they're all points of entry. They're door points for the enemy, and he uses those to train us how to think, speak, and act after his nature rather than God's. So door point ministry is really what I do. It's it's what brought me all of the freedom that I have is just being able to let God guide me, you know, let God lead me, but just thinking about all right, what has happened in my life. And as a result of those experiences, what have I come into agreement with? Whatever I begin to listen to and believe that's not from heaven, that's not from God's kingdom, that is the enemy. And then I apply this whole understanding to, to unravel that and repent. 
renounce, yeah. remove it, get it out of my life. Yep. Okay. So two points I want to touch on first. So in your book, you say obedience is not optional. Every decision demonstrates obedience. Yeah. You're you, you have a choice here, right? You're either obeying God or you're obeying the enemy. There is no gray. There is no, in no middle ground. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like that is really like, it really is profound as Christians. We like, we agree with that. Right. But what does that really mean? Like every area of your life? Well, you think about it. Every choice, every decision. I often say this, everything I say yes to, I'm saying nothing. I'm saying no to everything else. Yeah. So, you know, on my calendar today at three o'clock was to meet with Miss Jenny. I said, yes, which means there's nothing else that can happen at this time because me and you were together. Right. So I made a choice. So was I being obedient to God? I think so. I'm, I'm pretty sure now. I hope so. Yeah. Know yeah, I know. <laughs> you know. So I really come to believe that that every choice, every decision we make, I am demonstrating. I'm living out of what I believe. What is obedience? By definition, there's several, but what I've settled on, it's, it's the submission to the authority of. So I'm submitting to the authority of someone, Mm -hmm. either to God or to the enemy. Now, one of the greatest tricks the enemy plays on us, and I fell for this one for years, is they don't nobody tell me what to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I believe that. And I really thought that I was making up my own mind to do exactly what I wanted to do. Nobody was going to tell me what to do. But with the understanding that I now have, I've come to realize I was just being played. I was literally being led by the enemy in every one of those choices and decisions. And and I go on in that teaching to talk about the blessings and the curses of life. Now, I, I go back to Deuteronomy 28. You know, I know some people in the church kind of want to throw away the Old Testament, but no, I love it. God's the same yesterday, it. today, and forever. All yep, scripture yep. is inspired, profitable. So in Deuteronomy 28, Moses, through the Holy Spirit, says, if, if you will hearken, listen, observe, and do all these commands that I set before you this day, then all these blessings will come upon you and overtake you. I love that because there's a promise there. If I will submit to the authority of God, if I will listen to him and choose to obey him, I can't stop the blessings of God from flowing in my life. You can't outrun them. And from verse 3 to verse 15, 14, all these blessings, blessing, 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 blessing. But then you get to verse 15, it says, but, but if you will not observe, hearken, listen, observe, and do, then same promise, it shall come to pass. All these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. So it literally says to me, there's two kingdoms, there's two options. Deuteronomy again, I set before you this day, life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. So every day I get to choose what I want. Do I want the blessing of God in my life or do I want the curses of the enemy in my life? And in Deuteronomy 28 from verse 16 through verse 68, a lot of curses. Everything imaginable, everything we see around us, many of those things that were happening to me in my life as a Christian, as a believer, they were still present in my life because the Bible also says the curse causeless shall not come. There's a reason I've opened the door by my obedience. So that's how I understand it. And that's how I teach it. Yeah, no, I love it. And it, you know, I was reading in first Samuel this morning obedience is better than sacrifice. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. King Saul thought that he was, oh, I know better. I know what's right. God really wants to sacrifice. We're going to not wipe out and destroy these, these lambs, um, the oxen, all of that. We're going to keep, we're going to save them and sacrifice them to God. Yes. And he's going to love that, but Mm -hmm. no, Samuel comes in. No obedience. You did not obey. And what happens? That is the demise of King Saul. Yep. And I write about this in the book because that that same scripture, because although we're not in the Old Testament era, we're not sacrificing animals today. We we still sacrifice. You know, I I think many of us feel like we've got to do something for God. 
right? And if I do this for God, it's a sacrifice. I'm sacrificing my time. I'm sacrificing my energy. I'm sacrificing whatever. And I feel like that's going to earn the favor of God. It's going to earn the pleasure of God. No, you've already got it. You've already got the pleasure of God. You've already got the favor of God. God loves you, period. End of statement. And when we begin to understand, this is back in the art of relationship, but when we begin to understand how much our father actually loves us and we learn to open our heart to receive the love of our father, why can't we? Because we've got the enemy running interference. We've got all these impressions of who God is and how God looks at us and how God deals with us that religion, unfortunately, have reinforced in our life, have misrepresented the true nature and character of who our Heavenly Father is. You know, in my mind, God was like Zeus, man. I mean, he, he was sitting on the throne, long flowing beard and robe and, and just waiting on me to mess up so he could smack me around. It's really hard to open your heart to that image of God because that's not who he is. Yeah. And we have the failure of our earthly fathers and those men and women who represent God in our life to love us perfectly. Uh, so there's a lot going on that that hinders us from truly just opening our heart to receive the love of God. You know, loving God is what empowers us to walk in his obedience, by the way. You know, the more I understand that it's the goodness of God, the kindness of God that's supposed to lead and guide us into repentance. Most of my quote unquote repentance was out of fear, fear of hell, fear of judgment, fear of getting smacked around by God. That's not true repentance at all. Yeah. And that leads right into my next point I wanted to touch on is the repentance, because there's a lot of believers today that think I just need to do it once that they're, they don't understand the sanctification process. Mm-hmm. So with repentance, so if we go back to, okay, we take the thoughts captive, like, you know, who, who am I listening to? If I'm listening to the enemy, would you say the next step is then to repent? Of Absolutely. That? Absolutely. Okay. So following the restored acronym, I start mm-hmm. to take my thoughts captive and I recognize that I, right, this is where I've been listening to the enemy. I have, I have. So what do I need to do? I need to understand that that's actually obedience to the enemy. So when I see it, I have been obedient to the enemy. What do I need to do? I need to repent. But here's, here's the caveat. We don't know how. We don't know how to repent. I say we, I'm sure there's somebody out there that does, but I didn't know how. You know, because I was taught Stop. Quit. Don't do that. Well, I've been trying to do that all my life. And it's like beating my head against a concrete wall. I mean, it's not working. So my understanding, my definition that I use of repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. Most of my journey, I was focused on trying, attempting to change action, change behavior. But I've come to this conclusion, Miss Jenny, we'll never change action and behavior. Now, we might manage it for a while. We, we may be able to kind of keep it at bay, but it's going to creep back in. We'll never truly change action and behavior till we first change how we think. So to repentance, if you do the word study on repentance, it's amazing. Most every one of them have to do with your thinking got nothing to do with your doing. It's got to do with your thinking. So repentance, first and foremost, is a change of mind that results in a change of action. Mm -hmm. When I think different, I will act different. In my book, in my teaching, I I tell a story to articulate this. Of Years ago now, when I'm first learning these principles, I had two boys at the time, and it kind of fell my responsibility to give them baths. So every evening, uh, it's bath time. Put them both in the tub at the same time. They're in there splashing, giggling, cutting up, having a fun, and I'm losing my mind. I, I can't, I cannot bathe my boys without losing my temper and, and honestly abusing my boys, not physically, but it's it's not encouraging what I'm doing. And I hate this. This needs to change. And I'm praying about this. And God begins to reveal to me, Mitch, you're looking at bath time wrong. You see it as a job that needs to be accomplished. 
you see it as something that has to get done in the most efficient way possible, as quickly as possible. That's not what bath time is. Bath time is a time for you to connect and build relationship with your boys. And with that shift in my mindset, in my thinking, it enabled me to deal with it completely. So in my book, I'm telling this story and it happened again. I've lost it on my boys. They're bathed. They're dried off. They're in their pajamas. They're in the bed. And I go in and lay down next to my wife. And we've been having these conversations. She says, how are you feeling? And I'm not going to say on air what I said. Yeah. I feel like poop. poop. Yeah. She said, how do you think they're feeling? I'm like, worse. First time I'd ever done this. That's why I keep telling this story. Because I'd never done this at this point. I got up out of my bed. I walked back in that bedroom. I pulled those boys out and I set them on the edge of the bed. I got down on my knees and I looked my sons in the eye. And I said, boys, daddy's wrong. Because I would always say, if you'd stop splashing, if you'd quit cutting up, if you'd just listen to me, I wouldn't get so angry. So I'm constantly putting the responsibility of my action, my behavior on my boys. But this night... I said, it's my responsibility. It ain't got nothing to do with you. I'm responsible for how I speak to you. I'm responsible for the way I've been acting, and it's wrong. It's not your fault. It's mine, and I'm sorry. Will you forgive me, Levi? Will you forgive me, Micah? Yeah, Daddy. So we all crying by this time. Oh, yeah. We get back into bed. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I go back in. I lay down next to my wife. And she says, and I'll never forget these words. She says, thank you so much. I can never imagine my father or your father ever doing that. And that's the night I learned the power of repentance, the power of changing your mindset that results in a change of action. That was not my thought to get up out of my bed and go say that to my boys. That was not original to me, and that certainly wasn't from the enemy's kingdom. That was my father, by his grace, his divine influence on my heart, guiding me and directing me into changing my behavior. Now, I'm not going to tell you that from that time forward, every time we gave a bath, it was radically different. It wasn't. So I had to intentionally, purposefully, every time I went in to give a bath, stop and think, okay, This is not about a job. This is not a task. This is an opportunity for me as a father to learn to open my heart, to connect with my boys, to build relationship with my boys. And bath time became one of my favorite times of the day. It became enjoyable for me and my boys, but it took some time for me to renew my mind and, and have a new pathway of thought established that created a new behavior. So that's what repentance is. Yeah. And, and again, we could talk a lot about this, but to me, it's, it's simply understanding there's a mindset, there's a way of thinking that I'm following that's not coming from heaven. I need a relationship with my father to the point that I can ask him to correct my mindset. God, what? show me something. Teach me here. I need to see this differently. Once I recognize what I've been listening to from the enemy's kingdom, and I'm finding something from God's influence to replace it with, then I can repent Mm -hmm. because I've got to recognize it. I've got to take responsibility for my involvement with the enemy's influence. Then I can repent. Then I can turn from the lie back to God. I can renounce the enemy. I can tell him to go remove him, and I can begin the process of resisting that and renewing my mind. So that's very quickly. Yeah. The, no, that's the, so good. And and you would couple that with confession too, right? Yes, Before yes. the Father, you confess, mm-hmm. but then it is a daily choice, right? Like you, I you repent know, every day. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, I, so repentance is not something that I do one time, as you said earlier. No, repentance is an ongoing way of life. Yeah. And, and we, we've got to understand the power of repentance. I repent to people I don't know. 
I, mean, I was in the store the other day and kind of was short with the, ch the lady checking me out. And I just stopped and said, look, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I should never speak to you that way. I've got this going on and I just wasn't myself. I'm so sorry. H have a great day. That's repentance. Yeah. And, and it is making that choice. It out loud. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and making that. So, I mean, with the bath time, like you had to make that choice every time yes. beforehand yes. and, and that creates the habit, right? So it's rewiring mm -hmm. the way that mm -hmm. you think. And so we have a part in it. Absolutely. And that's the E, the following E of exercise. I mean, we, we have to habitually practice this to put yeah. it in to practice. Absolutely. Wow. So good. So, so good. So then real quick on, on the doors, the D door point, yeah, the door point. So that could go both ways too, right? We open doors to allow the enemy to come yes. in. We also open doors to allow the father to come in, but yes, yes, yes. yes. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, so really taking a look at your life of, of what open doors do I have that the enemy is, is... I've got another story if you have time for it. Yes, I do. Let's All hear right. it. <laughs> Bath time again, but, but this one's different. This child was not even born yet. So by the time my baby boy Garrett comes along, me, I got bath time down. Bath time's fun. Bath time's a blast. So Garrett has always loved to bath. I mean, he'd stay in there till the water's cold. He shriveled up like a prune. He just loves bath time. Well, all of a sudden, he didn't like a bath anymore. And it kept growing intensively worse. He didn't want tub toys. He didn't want, I mean, it was like trying to put a cat in the tub. This boy was petrified of the tub. Now, knowing what I know, this is a spirit of fear. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. So I am, as the father, taking authority over a spirit of fear and commanding it to loose my boy, but nothing's giving, nothing's changing. So I'm like, all right, God, what's going on? What is this? The curse causeless does not come. There's a reason this is here. So we're watching the Disney movie, Finding Dory. And it gets to the scene where she, she swims by a little tube and that tube sucks her up. And the rest of the movie is her trying to find her way back to mom and daddy, if you've ever seen the movie. So we're as a family watching this movie. When it gets to that scene, Garrett pulls the blanket over his head. And I hit pause on the remote, and I said, wait a minute, is that it? I'd never seen the movie, but he had watched it on the DVD in the van as we're traveling somewhere. I said, is that it, buddy? Is that why you're afraid of the tub? Is that?" And he's two and a half, three. I mean, he can't really even communicate clearly with me about what's going on. Is that it? Yeah. I said, I got it. I got it. This simply. No screaming, no shouting. I just simply said, all right, spirit of fear that joined Garrett when he watched this movie. You leave him and you leave him now in Jesus' name. And it broke. It broke. Now, again, I'm not going to tell you that he went right back to splashing in the tub, but but over a period of about a week, he's right back where he started. And we've been battling this thing for, for weeks. That's door point. That there's, there's points of entry in our life where we've come under the influence and we've come into agreement with mindsets and ways of thinking that the enemy has introduced. So we can talk about all kinds of things. I mean, rejection, abuse are always huge door points in our life. Adoption. Every person who's been adopted that I've ever ministered to almost to a fault will say these words. If my own mama and daddy didn't want me, how could anybody else? If they didn't love me, how could anybody else? Where'd that come from? Is that God? No. Is that how God created them to think? No. No, that's the enemy. Abortion. I ministered to one lady, had an abortion 40 years ago. And I asked her, have you ever asked God to forgive you? I'll never forget what she said. Every time I pray, I asked him to forgive me. What kind of relationship do you have? with God, when there's so much guilt and shame and condemnation attached, when the Bible says this, if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. She, every time she prayed, asked God to forgive her. 
It didn't take long. We just worked through this thing, and she was able to get her freedom. She was able to receive her forgiveness, be released from the lie of the shame and the guilt and the condemnation of the enemy and enter into an actual real relationship with God. So we could go on. I mean, there's all kinds of door points, points of entry that have happened to us in our life. And it's just understanding the strategy. Again, Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood. But before that, he says, put on the whole armor of God to stand against the wiles, King James Version, of the devil. What's a while? It's not a period of time. It's the methods, the tricks, the strategies of the enemy. And that's what this is. This, this whole restored teaching is a way of understanding how the enemy has deceived us. Because the only real, real power he has is in our agreement. So why are we in agreement? Who wants to be in agreement with the enemy? I'm sure nobody listening to us today, you got a Christian audience, nobody listening to us today wants to be in agreement with the enemy. So why are we? Because we've been deceived. Because he's really good at what he does. He talked a third of the angels out of heaven. They were in the presence of God. How much more susceptible are you and I to his craftiness, his deception? We just fall for it, man, because we've not been taught this. Yeah. We've not been taught how to discern the source of our thoughts and what to do with them once mm -hmm. we do recognize. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Would you say, um, you know, since you wrote this book and you're, you're coaching, you're restored coaching, would you say that you see more people being delivered and, and truly finding freedom in Christ right now, despite the chaos of our world? Absolutely. Because the truth will make you free. That's never changed. That's yeah. never changed. Yeah. I, I'll go this far. I've seen in the last 10 years, now I've only been doing what I do today. Uh, I launched Restored Coaching and Consulting in 2022, but I've been teaching this for almost 10 years. In the last 10 years, I've seen more true change and transformation than I did the entirety of my ministry up to this point. Because the reality was I didn't know what to do to help people. They come to me with these issues, they come to me with these struggles, or they don't. Because what I found is many people don't talk about these things. They never talk about these things, and that's why I've outlined this the way I have. Yeah. Let me take you through relationship, enemy separation. Yeah. By the time we get to door points, they trust me enough. Yeah. They're safe enough with God and safe enough with me to open their mouth and say things. Holy ground right here, girl. And I've heard it. I can't tell you how many times I've heard it. When I hear somebody say, I've never told anybody else this before. When I hear those words, we're on the verge of freedom. We're on the door point of freedom. The door's about to swing open. Because many times all it takes is just speaking it out loud. Because when you start to say out loud the junk you've been believing in your head, it sounds ridiculous. It really does. Once you are able to communicate it in a safe place with a safe person and a safe God, there's freedom, there's, there's release, there's deliverance simply in having truth. Again, I can go all day. I know. I mean, I, I could talk to you all day. <laughs> I see three forms of deliverance in Scripture. Mm -hmm. Purest form of deliverance. You will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. I've seen it happen. I've literally seen people, I do a little 30-minute, 45-minute introduction. It's available on my website. You can go watch it for nothing. I've seen people set free simply by that quick little overview of the acronym, and it just unlocks. Things unlock because the truth will make you free. Purest form there is. Second form, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Many times there's a journey of learning how to submit to the truth that has been revealed and learning how to resist the lie of the enemy. But the promise is this, if you'll do it, you'll submit to the truth of God and resist the lie of the enemy, he will flee. Doesn't always happen instantly, but it will happen. Third form, 
is what we often think of when somebody uses the word deliverance. You know, if I, by the finger of God, cast out devils. So I fully believe in quote unquote deliverance ministry, but my approach is backwards, if you will, from most people's. I want you to have truth. I want you to know why you're bound. And in the teaching of truth, many times people just get freedom. So I've seen it. I've seen deliverance where people are delivered. But then a week, a month, two months later, they come back and they're more tormented than they were before because they don't have the understanding. They're still ignorant. They don't have the truth as a practical process in their life to keep their freedom, to keep their deliverance. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say a life that has that freedom in Christ, what does that look like? You know, we know what it looks like to be kind of bound and oppressed mm -hmm. and whatever you want to call it. Um, but what does it look like to have true freedom in Christ? Like, what does life look like? It's very simple. Paul already told us in Galatians chapter five, it's the fruit of the spirit. Yeah. But I, I want you, I want your, your audience to take the time to go look at Galatians five, because prior to the fruit of the spirit, Paul in the King James says, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And he goes through this list. What that is, literally, think about the words, the works of the flesh. I take time in the teaching to describe flesh. To me, all the flesh is, is Satan's kingdom that's joined you. It's the mindset of the enemy that you're listening to. So when you're following that, it manifests. Something visible, invisible, is made visible. So what is that? There's that list, right? And then he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. That's what it looks like to be free. And that's what I was missing. That's what I, I was looking for all those years. I saw it. I saw the promise of abundant life. I saw John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, to kill and to destroy, but I've come to give you life and that life abundantly. Well, okay. I see the promise, but I'm not living it, man. I'm not living it. Why not? So that's it. Fruit of the spirit is what it looks like. You, it's your birthright, man. It's your birthright as a son and daughter of God. It's what Jesus died for, is to bring you back into intimate personal relationship with God the Father, to have and know that you're loved, you're wanted, you're accepted, and you belong to God. And that reality, being enough to force all the lies of the enemy out. What does the Bible say? Again, stop me anytime. Perfect love cast out fear. That's it. The more I know that I'm loved perfectly, the more I believe it, the more I accept it. We've both known and believed the love that God has for us, John says in 1 John. Well, I can sing the song, but I didn't believe it. I knew it, but I didn't believe it. The more we believe the truth of the love and the acceptance and the approval that we already have from our Father, the more we're able to walk in the love, the joy, the peace, the fruit of the Spirit that comes. It's your birthright. It's your birthright. Jesus said, I come to give you peace. My peace, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Peace is your birthright. Honestly, Jenny, I didn't know what peace was. I didn't. I could give you the definition. I, was, I mean, I knew how to study the Bible, but I never knew what peace was till I understood what I now teach. And now nothing is worth losing my peace over. Nothing. My simple definition of peace is a quiet mind. My entire life, there was constant chatter up here. Not anymore. I have a quiet mind, and that's peace. Quiet mind, a quiet spirit, where I can hear my father, because he whispers. He doesn't shout. He whispers. Nothing is worth me losing my peace over. Nothing. I don't care what you do to me. I don't care what you say. Cut me off in traffic. I don't care. It's not worth me losing my peace over. That's what it looks like to no, walk I in freedom. That. I love that. I actually just wrapped up last night writing um, devotion series on the fruit of the spirit. Um, so I love, love that. And, you know, people need this. People need this in today's world. 
anxiety, depression, mm-hmm. fear, because obviously our world is it's rampant right now. Yeah, it is. And would you say that? I mean, yeah, we say spirit of fear, but what about anxiety, depression? Would you say that that is from the enemy? Absolutely. It's all a spirit of fear. Yeah. It's all a spirit of fear. You know, again, God's not given you the spirit of fear. Yeah. And by the way, it says spirit of fear. I mean, so you can argue it if does. you want to, but, but it says spirit of fear. God's yeah. not given you a spirit of fear, but of of love and a sound mind. So what's power? It's authority. We have authority over this kingdom. It's been pulling us around like a puppet on a string all these years when we're the one that's got the authority. He's given us power. He's given us love. Perfect love casts out fear. He's given us love and a sound mind. That's that peace I'm talking about, where my mind is able to function correctly. When you're in, When you're anxious and nervous and Twisted up inside, you can't think clearly. You can't. You may, can't make a quality decision for your life. And yeah, it's all fear. It's all a spirit of fear. So good. I mean, I could go on and on talking to you. I'm just like, this is people need to hear this. And it's this message needs to get out because it can change generations. Absolutely. And break that for our children and our grandkids and so, I often say, and it's not because it's what I teach, but it's like, I feel like I have a secret that the entire world needs to yeah. hear. How, yeah. how do I let the world know? Yeah. That's why yeah. I wrote the book. That, that's why I've created the resource. It's like, yeah. everybody needs this. Yeah, they do. Absolutely. Even if you think you have it all together as a Christian, you're saved. Like, I mean, I'm thinking in my own life. Yeah. I need to work on that. You know, I need to come up against the enemy because I know that he's whispering. Well, lies it's like, me. it's like people who only go to marriage counseling when their marriage is falling apart. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're seven years too late. They should have went to marriage counseling seven years ago. Right. I'm not a marriage counselor. That's not what I do, but it's the same way with us as believers. You know, we feel like we really don't need any help. We don't need to go talk to somebody and get some coaching, get somebody to speak into our life. You know, we're doing all right. We're fine. Well, no, we're not. Every marriage can be improved on, right? So there's no shame in going to a marriage counselor just because you don't have marriage problems. Same is true in spiritual coaching. There's no shame in getting a coach, man. There's no shame in talking to someone because I promise you, I can help you find something you can improve on. There's some way of thinking, some way of living your life that you are just oblivious to. It just feels normal and natural to you, but it ain't God. And it's not how God's created you to think. So I do enjoy coaching. I, I do. I, I love getting down in the weeds with people with, with what's going on in their life. Unfortunately, there's only one of me. So that, that yeah. is very limited. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I've got to find a way to scale that some way, but I yeah. love it. That's one of my yeah. favorite things to do. It's just to, uh, to get these truths established, and then let's let's begin to look back in life yeah. and, and see what's going on, see where you're at. Yeah. Wow. I love it. So where can people find you? Where can they get your book and start digging in? Currently, restoredcoaching.org is my website, and the book is not yet up as of it is the 8th of June right now, uh, but my, my guys are working on it to get it on the website. So it should be available on my website very soon, maybe by the time this comes out. But it is available on Amazon, uh, both in Kindle and in paperback. Uh, so I did self-publish through Amazon. Um, so it's there, but soon you'll be able to find it through my website as well. Uh, on my website, I have a eight-week or an eight-course video series that goes through all of these principles along with a workbook uh, that goes along with that. So that's available on my website as well. Awesome. And yeah, so your book is called Restored Eight Truths for Freedom in Christ. You guys go check this out. Like every, every person needs this. It is something that needs to get out there so that we can stand in our freedom in Christ and make a change in this world and Amen. stand in our authority. We're supposed to be a gift. I mean, yes. that's what we're here for, to be change agents and gifts on this planet. But it's hard to do when I don't really believe God loves me, and I'm not so sure what you think about me, and and I'm I'm so concerned. So again, I could go on forever. Yeah, no, I love it. So yeah, as we wrap up, do you want to leave the the listeners with anything? Um, I mean, yeah, we could go on and on. (laughs) You can change. You can change. I mean, I, I. 
my tagline on my website when you go there is I teach those who want to change how to change. Um, I wanted to change. Yeah. Change isn't easy. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Change is not easy. It's work. It's, 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 it's effort. But you can change. You do not have to stay bound to the strongholds of the enemy that are operating in your life. Those things that you keep in the dark, that you keep hidden, that you don't tell anybody about, that you hate and despise, and probably even hate and despise yourself, not knowing that it's actually the enemy's influence, you don't have to stay that way. You can be delivered. You can be set free. You can change. The Bible has always been true. The truth will make you free. But it's not just reading the truth. It's understanding the truth and applying the truth into your life. So that's it. You can change. You're not destined to be where you are. I love that you said you have to want to because Jesus asked the the man at the pool, do you want to get well? Do you want to? So you there's you play a part in it. You notice in that this is interesting to me. You bring this up. Almost every miracle Jesus physically touches people, even the lepers. If you did the word study on that, he's not just laying hands on their head. He's wrapping them guys up in a full embrace. But this man, he never touched. He never touched him. He said, do you want to be made well, to be made whole? Get up, get up. So a lot of times we're the ones holding ourselves back, Mm -hmm. waiting on somebody else to do something for us because we refuse to take responsibility for our own actions and our own choices. And that is a lie of the enemy that's keeping many people laying on that mat. Absolutely. Amen to that. So, wow, what a great conversation. I will probably have to have you back on again. I know that everyone is going to love this. I'll be glad to. You'll be be getting emails from me. Um, So thank you. You guys go check out the website. Um, It is therestoredcoaching.org. I will link it in the description of this podcast episode. And as always, you guys feel free to reach out to me. I'm sure Mitch, you're good with with Absolutely. people reaching out, your your contact information is on your website mm-hmm. and we would love to hear from you. So thank you again, Mitch. Thank you for taking the time today and saying yes to God for this um, podcast interview. Um, all right, you guys. Um, thanks and have a great rest of your day. See ya. Thank y'all. Bye-bye.